kids away. Luke's Gospel in chapter 17. But we st- We're continuing to go through this series on the Old and New Testaments, highlighting the covenants of God and the oaths that he has taken. Now, when God takes an oath, as anyone who takes an oath to do something, you are bound by that oath. God, in fact, particularly God, is not above any oath that he takes. That's because we bind our own characters when we take an oath. We don't take an oath... um, We we don't take an oath to... um, apart from our character. Okay, we take an oath to, as it were, reinforce the better part of our character, to do something. With human beings, the reason that we take oaths is that there's a tendency for us not to do what we say we're going to do. And in important situations where we have to do what we said we're going to do, that uh, we take a binding oath or we, nowadays, we write a contract out so that that's, we're bound to the words of that particular contract. When it comes to covenants and oaths, covenants were more solemn than contracts because they bound our own characters and in, there would be a... Uh, uh, a particular punishment, and it would be a punishment if we broke that uh, that oath. So oaths had to mean what they said, which means that they were very carefully put together. The words meant something, and taking the oath to do what the words said meant that you understood what was uh, asked of you. God is no different. Yes, we know God is God and God is completely trustworthy and his yes is yes and his no is no and he doesn't have to make promises and he doesn't have to swear oaths. He makes oaths for us so that we'll believe in him or we'll believe that particular thing that he solemnly swears because we have a tendency to spiritualize what he says or reinterpret what he says. Well, you can't do that with an oath. You can't reinterpret or spiritualize oaths, even though many people in Christianity do exactly that. Uh, It is surprising and saddening, uh, given the present context, context, sorry, got my reading teeth in, um, how this Israeli... Palestinian war, this recent uh, uptick in violence, how many people who um, say that the church is now Israel have come out against Israel. These are Christians. And they're writing posts against Israel and for Palestine. Or they're taking an opportunity to say, well, the church is the real Israel now. Honestly, I mean, you want to pull your hair out because these are Christians who are supposed to take the Bible, you know, at face value. They take it seriously. And yet, what are they doing? What are they telling the Jews? 
They're telling the Jews that they despise them. They're telling God's people who God has covenants with that you don't care. God's God's uh, all done with you now. You have to be in the church and that's it. It's, I, it's not anti-Semitism, but it's anti-Israelism. And any, to me, any Bible teacher, he might be a good man. I'm not talking about here his godliness and his own spiritual life. But as far as his understanding of this, uh, this teaching is concerned, anyone who says that Israel has been replaced or that they don't use that terminology anymore because we're in the, we're in the era now when you don't say what you mean. Okay? You use euphemisms for everything. So euphemistically they will say that uh, Israel has been enlarged or transformed into the church. Do you see? That's how they put it nowadays. What they mean is that Israel has been superseded and that the church basically is the new and the true Israel. That's what they say, which means that, of course, the nation of Israel is not the true Israel. Um, well, what they will do is that we'll go to passages like this in Luke 17 to prove their point. So I thought this would be a good place for us to kind of stop off at in our journey through the New Testament. Let me read the verses. Luke chapter 17, verses 20 through 30. You, you know these verses. Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, See here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. Then he said to the disciples, The days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, And you will not see it. And they will say to you, look here or look there. Do not go after them or follow them. For as the lightning that flashes out of the one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also will the Son of Man, uh, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, It rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Now, there's a lot more in this passage, but this is a a large enough enough chunk for us to consider uh, in this time that we have together this morning. Now, obviously... 
you can see where those that believe that the church is Israel, where are they going to go in this passage? Which, which is the passage, which is the verse that they're going to hone in on? They're going to go to verse 21. For indeed, the second part of the verse, the kingdom of God is within you. Okay, so here's the interpretation that they will give. This is what I was taught in seminary and in, uh, in churches in England. This is what many commentaries will, will say. The kingdom of God is not an outward kingdom. The kingdom of God is not something that you can see and that you can feel that you, and that you can enter. It's not physical, in other words. The kingdom of God is inside you. When Jesus comes into your life and transforms you and you're born again, then you become part of the kingdom of God. Okay? So the kingdom of God is within you. If the kingdom of God is within you, obviously it's a spiritual thing. It's not an outward thing. Now, from the studies that we've been uh, doing over this year in the oaths of God is that the, inter- the correct interpretation of the covenant kingdom as it's been presented in the Bible so far. Is that what the angels said? Okay, that he's going to sit on the throne of his father David and he will rule forever and ever. Did you get out of what the angels proclaimed that this rule is inside your soul? It's not external. No, you didn't, and neither did the shepherds. And neither did Mary. Neither did Zacharias. Neither did Simeon. Neither did any of the people that had these uh, visitations or these insights from God and said something under inspiration about the kingdom. They all agreed in continuity with the Old Testament passages which speak often about uh, peace coming to Jerusalem, safety and blessing coming to Israel and a king setting up in Jerusalem to rule over Israel and the nations, the whole earth, and the the whole earth being transformed by that rule, none of them spoke about the kingdom in this way. So what are we going to do with Jesus' words here in Luke 17? Well, a good rule is that if you think that the Bible is contradicting itself here, it's probably because you're not interpreting it correctly and you need to study it out a bit more. What could it mean when it says the kingdom of God is within you? Well, we think about inside of us, yes? But the words that I used... They could and should probably be translated in your midst. In your midst. In other words, within you as far as not inside of you. I mean, good grief. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the Pharisees. Did they have the 
any aspect of the kingdom within them. Of course they didn't. Of course they didn't. They were the enemies of Jesus. So what therefore did Jesus mean? He meant that that the kingdom of God was in their midst. They were looking right at it. How were they looking at it? Because they were looking at the king. Do you see that? He was proclaimed as king by the angels of heaven. They didn't get the, the message wrong and deliver the wrong message on earth. He is the king. He's the rightful heir of the throne of David. They were looking at him. He was performing all of these kingdom miracles. He was speaking about the kingdom. He said, repent. Remember this? Next, last week. For the kingdom of God is near. And all you have to do in order for the kingdom of God to be ushered in is to what? Believe in him. Accept him for who he is. But you have to repent. You don't just vote for him. Oh yeah, he's our preferred candidate for the kingdom of God. We think this guy will do a good job. No, you have to change in order for you to receive Jesus. It's just like what I've told the kids here in the kids' message a little earlier. The rich young ruler turned away because he wouldn't put Jesus first. He wouldn't repent. He wouldn't change his mind about Jesus. He would rather keep his riches. So what we have here is Jesus being challenged. Where's the kingdom of God then? You're doing all of these miracles. You're saying all of these things. You're preaching all of this stuff about the kingdom. Well, when's it going to come then? That's the idea. And Jesus, as is typical of Jesus, turns to the point, the main point, which is him. What do you think of him? Do you accept me as the king? Do you accept me as the Messiah? Do you accept me as God's chosen one? Who's been prophesied in the Old Testament? I mean, yeah, don't, John the Baptist, he was an impressive guy. He was pointing to me. You see all of these miracles. You see these devils saying he's the son of God. I mean, we've got lots of subtle hints here of who Jesus is. He's in the line of David. He's born in Bethlehem, which is what Micah predicted. The Messiah would uh, would be born in Bethlehem. Now it's up to you, Pharisees. Now it's up to you, you religious people. The kingdom of God's not going to come without the king. Do you see? (laughs) Accept the king, he'll bring in the kingdom. So, the way that we are to understand Jesus' reply is that the kingdom of God is in your midst. You're looking right at the king, and if you want the kingdom to come, believe the king, the one that God has sent. 
when Jesus returns, does the kingdom come in before him or after him? After. He comes and then he sets up the kingdom. He's going to do it in a... Uh, irresistible way when he returns the second time. This time, it wasn't irresistible. This time, there was a chance to reject, and they rejected him, just as the Old Testament predicted that they would. The stone that the builders rejected, that's going to be the head of the corner, the head of the building. And so... The question that the Pharisees asked was about an external kingdom. And the answer that Jesus returned was about an external kingdom. But an external kingdom that only comes about if we change internally. Because God will not have a group of sinners and Christ rejectors in the kingdom of God to come. That's going to be a kingdom of peace. That's going to be a kingdom where the wolf lies down with the lamb. Well, you're not going to have that if you don't change human hearts. If you don't turn people from themselves to God. So we have to have spiritual transformation before we can have the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God, its outward manifestation only comes about through inward change of the people who will inhabit it. But then in the passage, we have some clues that the kingdom of God is not just internal. He turns to his disciples in verse 22 and he says, The days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, And the Son of Man, by the way, that's the most common term that Jesus used to refer to himself. And do you know where it comes from? It comes from the book of Daniel. refers to someone who comes from heaven called the Son of Man who sets up his reign. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. But he says, you will not see it. They will say to you, look here or look there and do not go after them or follow. Why? Because before the true day of the Son of Man, the day that he will be accepted, the day that he will take up his throne, there will be a return. As the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. Well, he's right there, isn't he? He's right there. What do you mean that his coming is going to be like the lightning flashing across the sky so that nobody can miss it? Well, he goes on and explains why. Because the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Must. You see that word? Must. Now this is not God working in the hearts and minds of the Pharisees to make them reject Jesus. But in the plan of God, because God knows all things and God has... uh, 
has uh, brought together all sets of circumstances into this set of circumstances, there has to be this rejection. It's inevitable. If Jesus came today in the lowliness of his first coming, he would be rejected today. But he must be rejected, he must be killed. That has to happen first. That means he is going to be killed, he's going to go away, but he is going to return. Now, folks, you can't believe in a Jesus Christ who's not going to return. That's If you believe in a Jesus that's still dead, okay, whose skeleton is somewhere buried in the... Uh, the Israeli dirt, will you believe in the wrong Jesus? Because that is not the Son of God, and it's the Son of God who came. A dead Jesus is not the one who performed all of the miracles, who raised people back to life. A dead Jesus is not the one who's doing the talking here. The true Jesus will return. And if you believe that he lived 2,000 years ago and he said these things and he did these deeds, you need to believe what he says here. He is coming back in glory. Yes. So he gives some illustrations in verses 26 and following. Two illustrations, actually. One about the days of Noah... And one about uh, Lot and and, uh, the raining of fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah. Both Old Testament illustrations. Verse 26. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. Okay, so what are the things that... uh, constituted the days of Noah. Okay, well, the days of Noah are famous for Genesis chapter 6, the world being a really evil place, a very, very bad place, so bad that God just had had enough and decided to wipe humanity from off the earth. It had taken hundreds of years, hundreds of years of evil and wickedness, probably far beyond anything that goes on even today, if you believe that. But such is the evil and depravity of human nature. That kind of wickedness on a societal level drove God to bring about a worldwide flood. That's what Genesis 6, that's what the days of Noah is all about. (laughs) And Jesus pinpoints here about what was going on. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until. Now, what's he talking about here? He's talking about, basically, um, festive occasions. Eating, drinking, marrying, enjoying life, doing, you know, doing the positive things of life. Jesus doesn't 
focus on the, all of the evil that was going on at that time, or the evil and the violence that was uh, pervading society. Why? Because people were preoccupied with just living their lives. Oh, yes, today we have another chance to do this, to do that. We're not thinking about eternity. We're not thinking about God. We're not thinking about anything but ourselves. And when society is like that, society decays. So they were living their lives until the day, the very day that Noah entered the ark. Or until it started raining. Now, it started raining on a particular day. Noah had been preaching this. Noah had been building this great, big, ginormous ark thing. Okay? And uh, the people could see this huge vessel growing, built, being built, however long it took Noah to make the thing. Several years, probably. He could see this thing, they could see this thing going up. No rain. Why are you building that thing? No, there's no, there's no sea around here. There's no lake around here. This is dry ground. What do you think you're doing? Everybody thought he was nuts. But Noah, he's called a preacher of righteousness. He was preaching to them the need for repentance, the the impending judgment of God. And as the ark was finished off and it was ready to float, these people could see all of the animals coming down and going into the ark. Noah wasn't, you know, he didn't have the skill to tame them all and get them all to come two by two into the ark, but they could see this. That would have taken probably a a week or several, I don't know how long that would have taken, quite a long time to get all of those animals to come from these different places. And remember that it wasn't just the local animals. These animals would have come, people would have seen these animals coming through their lands. It would have been noticeable. And they all came, they all converged on one place. Well, Noah, he may be a bit cranky, a bit, you know, nutty in building the ark, but he had nothing to do with all of the animals coming to it. What was, what was all that about? There was chance, do you see? Chance to people, for people to think differently. What's going on here? What's about to happen? Maybe what Noah is saying about an impending judgment from God is true. Nah, nothing in it. The news probably didn't report it. It wasn't on, you know, pre-flood CNN. Nobody said anything about it. And so it started raining, and it started raining more, and it rained more and more and more and more. And pretty soon, within a number of hours, everything was... Damp, flooded, people were panicking. And the rain continued and continued and continued. And sooner or later, 
not it wasn't of course just the rain it was the the, the fountains of the deep were opened up as well and the, the windows of heaven were open whatever that is a reference to i mean it really came down and within a short time that monstrous ark was floating above all of the buildings, all of the houses, all of the things that humanity had built, it was all under water, and so were the people. And then there's this other, uh, this other illustration. Likewise, it was also in the days of Lot. Remember him? He lived in Sodom, not the best choice of a place and they ate they drank they bought they sold they planted they built well hold on Jesus there are other things we know about Sodom as well don't you remember the homosexuality that was rampant there the perversion that was rampant there the violence that was and, and immorality that was he doesn't mention that he just mentioned that people were going about their business do you see doing their thing They sold, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. They just went about their lives like people do. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, on the day it rained, but it rained something different than water. It rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Both of these are illustrations of God acting in judgment on a particular day. When that particular day will happen in the future, we don't know. We know it's been thousands of years since the flood, thousands of years since uh, Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. So maybe God's still through with all that kind of judgment stuff now. Jesus, though, says, even so will it be on the day, notice that, the day when the Son of Man is revealed. There's going to be a certain day when Jesus, the Son of God, the King who's going to set up the kingdom on this earth, He's going to come back and everyone will see him. With the, with the flood, by the way, you can see evidences of the flood everywhere. You just need to open your eyes. You need to open your eyes. When you're driving through the country and you see the rocks going like this and so on, when you see the sediments in the layers, just open your eyes. You'll see evidence of a worldwide flood everywhere. Okay? You say, oh yeah, but there's another story that, that describes all of that. There was eroded by rivers and well, don't believe that. Absolute nonsense. When Mount St. Helens in 1980, okay, when that erupted, it formed a huge mudslide. That huge mudslide created a mini Grand Canyon Okay, with these very, very fine layers in it, like 30, 40 feet high, in 48 hours, 
You want a mini evidence for the reality of the flood? Just go to Mount St. Helens. And of course, every single ancient civilization has a flood legend. It's all right, that's just legend though, you see. We can ignore it. They didn't know what they were talking about because the ancients were stupid. We know that. You know, it doesn't matter about Machu Picchu and it doesn't matter about the, the pyramids and it doesn't matter about Stonehenge. They're just stupid. And we're smart. Well, I think it would be smarter to believe that even though these things are in the past, what they do is that they should wake us up and warn us about things in the future. Because God is going to act in the future. There is going to be a time, maybe soon, I don't know, when Jesus is going to return, and he's going to return as a man of war in um, irresistible power and might. He's going to vanquish every single army, every single um, dictator, every single general, every politician, every world leader, every George Soros or whatever in this world. They're all going to be swept aside in an instant. And he's going to set up his kingdom. The king comes first, then the outward kingdom. Just as God has sworn to do. We don't spiritualize the oaths of God. We don't reinterpret the kingdom as something that is some kind of miraculous internal transformation inside of us. That's not a kingdom anyway. What kind of a, what kind of a distortion of language is that? A kingdom inside me? You know, if there's a kingdom inside me, quite honestly, it's the one I have to fight against constantly. Okay? It's my sin that I have to fight against constantly. My wrong thoughts, my wrong actions, and so on. That's the only kingdom going on inside of me, I can assure you. Yes, I'm born again, but I still need grace in order to live the way God wants me to live. I need the Holy Spirit to do something in my life in order to do that. And he's just a deposit. He's not ruling in my life. I wish he was. Sometimes he gets gets on the throne in my life, but often he doesn't. There's no spiritual kingdom going on in my life, and there's no kingdom going on in your life, and there's no kingdom going on in the lives of the people that spiritualize Luke 17, verse 21. Yes, the kingdom of God is within you. He says to the disciples, or to the uh, Pharisees. Because Jesus is right there. And they reject him, they kill him. How, How does this apply to us today? Well, finally... In a real sense, because Jesus is present, because he's God, he's present where the gospel is proclaimed. He's there to act when the gospel is proclaimed and believed. 
So in the sense of Jesus is being proclaimed and salvation is being proclaimed to you this morning, Jesus, who was rejected, died on the cross for your sins, taking your punishment. So that if you believe that he died for your sins and rose again to, so that you could be justified before God, you will be given eternal life and you will be given a place in the kingdom of God that's coming. In that sense, the kingdom of God is in your midst right now, in the person or the message of Jesus, but only if you believe him, only if you will repent and trust him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we... um, It it saddens us that your people will not believe the very oaths that you took and are so tempted to spiritualize the word of God. They may be good people, they certainly may be godly people, but they are terribly wrong when it comes to their disbelief in the oaths that you've taken. Father, we believe them. We have faith in them. We may be called crazy, just as Noah was called crazy. But we believe your word. We know that Jesus is coming back. We don't know when, and we wish we did. But, Lord, I pray that it will be soon. Because we need judgment and we need justice in this world. We rejoice, Heavenly Father, that your word will come true exactly as it was predicted. And that your salvation of us will be eternal exactly as has been promised us. Help us, Father, to cleave to that, believe in it, find hope and comfort in it. And we ask, Lord, that as we continue to fellowship over in the fellowship hall now, that you bless the food and bless our conversation, Lord. In the name of our Savior, amen.